everybody. Welcome to the How to Health podcast. I'm Katie Ryan, a registered dietitian with the amazing... I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, board-certified family medicine doctor. Yes, yes. We are both plant-based professionals here helping you, inspire you, teach you how to do this, how to reverse disease, and how to get healthy. Today, I'm so excited to introduce Robbie Barbero and Dr. Cyrus Pambada from Mastering Diabetes. They are incredible plant-based professionals here who are helping people with diabetes. And um, let's go ahead and get started. So if you guys wouldn't mind telling us a little bit more about yourselves and what you do. Yeah, so um, we are super excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Uh, I'll share my story and then uh, we'll let Cyrus share his story. So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 12, about to turn 13. And my older brother actually already had type 1 diabetes as well. So for a while, I was complaining to my mom. I was like, hey, mom, I'm going to the bathroom all the time. I'm thirsty all the time. I think I have type 1 diabetes, just like Steve. She's like, no, no, you don't. Don't be silly. And so uh, my mom was out of town. They were, my mom and dad were looking, we lived in Minnesota at the time, and they were looking at houses in Florida because we were going to move to Florida. And so it was just me and my brother at home. My oldest brother was out of the house. And I was, um, I couldn't sleep that well. So my mom called me the next day. She was checking in and seeing how are things going. And I said, mom, I, I was cramping all night. It was just terrible. She's like, okay, go upstairs, use your brother's blood sugar meter and see what happens. So I tested myself. I was like 400. And my brother's like, yep, you have type 1 diabetes. You have to go to the doctor. So we went to the general care doctor and they did some tests and said, yep, it's type 1. Then they took me to the hospital. And my parents flew back that night. And I only had to spend one night in the hospital because my family already knew what to do. And so then my parents always told me, you know, don't worry about it. It's just an inconvenience. You can still do whatever you want. Life is going to be fine. So it was really not that much of a stress. And I just dealt with it. And eventually, I started to learn about better ways to take care of myself. And initially, my whole way I got into this new way of living was that I read a book and in the book, it planted the seed in my mind that it could be, might be possible to reverse type 1 diabetes. So that's what sent me on this tirade of like, okay, what can I... It was all about like natural healing. So if you, if you teach your body well and you, you know, eat food that doesn't take very much energy for digestion, then maybe your body can heal itself, put more energy towards healing your own body. So that was the initial basic mindset. And I just went on a tirade. It's like, I'll do whatever it takes. And kept on learning and learning and learning until eventually I got to a point where I learned that fruits and vegetables, low fat is the way to go. So I've been doing that since December of 2006. And I have uh, eaten literally nothing but fruits and vegetables in their natural raw state. That's it. That's all I eat. And I've never had an A1C above 6.4 over the past 10 years. And my current A1C is 5.9. So my blood glucose management is good. I've never been hospitalized for like a dangerous low. It's never happened in having type one for over 15 years. Um, and my health is just amazing. So I have other things like allergies. I had plantar fasciitis. I had terrible acne. All that stuff healed with this new diet. So, and that's kind of like the big thing that Cyrus and I are teaching people is that this way of living goes beyond just diabetes management. It's your overall health, your long-term health. So now, um, eventually, Cyrus and I have joined forces, and we are teaching people about this, this way of living. Oh, 
Amazing. Wow. Since 2006. Wow. That's really, that's incredible story. Sorry. So I'm curious. Oh, Robbie. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Wow. What did your parents do? Were they eating this way or you just found this on your own just through as you were growing up? I mean, how did that happen? They were always supportive, but um, my family does not follow this in any way, shape or form. Like I'm a black sheep in my family. Uh, They do anything and everything they want. No worries there. Uh, so I just, it was through reading books and stumbling across things and that was it. All right. Wow. I want to hear Cyrus's yeah. story. Thanks, Robbie. Yeah, for well, sure. What's so Cyrus? I was diagnosed with uh, type one diabetes when I was 22. So I grew up as one of those, you know, my mom referred to me as a hellcat. I was just really active. I would play soccer and baseball and basketball and swimming and running and hiking and jogging. And she just, she couldn't really keep me still. So I grew up as an athlete and uh, that continued all the way through to college. And then when I was in my senior year of college at Stanford, I lost all my energy. I mean, I, I could barely get out of bed. I was having a difficult time concentrating. I was trying to study for finals in my senior year. And it got to a point where uh, I was so thirsty all the time that I would, I would drink a glass of water. I would put it down and then I would say, yeah, I'm thirstier. And then I would drink again and then I put it down and I'd say, yeah, I'm getting thirstier. So that got in the way of me being able to actually do anything productive. And so I was drinking water like a like nobody's business. And then I would go to the bathroom every 15 minutes like clockwork and I would just urinate and then come back and drink and then urinate and come back and drink. And it was it just drove me nuts. So I checked myself into the uh, local health clinic and I explained the symptoms. And they knew immediately, oh, they, oh, this is type 1 diabetes. This is just like, this is, this is very common for them. So uh, they took a finger stick of blood glucose and found out that my glucose was in the 600s. And what, that's six times higher than it needs to be because your, your glucose is supposed to be between about 80 and 130 all day long every day. And that's where it is for people without diabetes. But uh, because I had developed type 1 diabetes or I was in the process of developing type 1 diabetes, my glucose was through the roof. So here I am with a glucose higher than 600. They take me to the hospital, and over the course of the next 24 hours, they basically explain to me that I, uh, you know, the, the beta cells in my pancreas are no longer making insulin, and as a result of that, I now have to inject insulin using a syringe every day for the rest of my life. So you can imagine at the age of 22, you know, I'm a happy-go-lucky senior in college. All I want to do is just get out of school and just, you know, continue or start working, and now I have to deal with this. And I actually, for the six months preceding that, I had actually developed two other autoimmune conditions. So the first one was Hashimoto's thyroiditis or hypothyroidism. That came first. Three months after that, I lost all of my hair. That's why I have no eyebrows. I have no eyelashes. I have no ear hair. I have no nose hair. I got nothing. And my hair was kind of falling out in these patches. And then it just felt all just done. So that's called alopecia universalis. And I got that three months after my Hashimoto's diagnosis. And then three months after that diagnosis, I get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So I had one, two, three autoimmune conditions that popped up within a six-month span. And as you can imagine, I was probably, I was very, very nervous. I thought that my health was spinning out of control and I just, I didn't know what I could do. So for the first year, I did what the doctors and nutritionists told me to do, which is follow a low-carbohydrate diet. So that's just their one size fits all prescription. If you have type one, if you have pre-diabetes, you have type two diabetes, you have gestational diabetes, it doesn't matter. Any flavor of diabetes, here's your low carbohydrate diet. See you later. Mm -hmm. 
So that's what they did. I didn't know anything about diabetes. So I said, fine, I'll just do this. So I started to eat things like turkey burgers and cheese and milk and peanut butter. And I had small servings of pasta and rice here and there. But, you know, my overall mentality was avoid carbohydrate because carbohydrates the enemy and insulin's the enemy. And I don't want to use either one of those. So I was trying to, you know, move into the sort of higher fat, higher protein realm. So I was doing that for about a year. And uh, within the first year, I got lower energy than when I was diagnosed with type 1. My ability to actually move my body and use my body for athletics went out the door to a point where I would go and I'd play a game of soccer and then I would would lie on the couch and have to miss work for like three or four days. It was that bad. I mean, my hamstrings were like steel rods and my shoulders were tight even though I didn't use them for soccer. It was like something was wrong. So I felt like since I was living in this body of an 85-year-old man that I needed to make a change. So I started educating myself similar to Robbie and I just started reading book after book after book and watching movies and just attending scientific lectures and just trying to educate myself about maybe there's this like alternative way of being. So in the process, I ended up stumbling across the 80-10-10 diet, which is a raw food vegan approach, right? Plant-based, you know, primarily raw foods. I said, okay, you know, let me try this out. And so under the guidance of Dr. Doug Graham, he basically showed me personally exactly how to eat a very low fat uh, vegan diet and how it would completely transform my blood glucose control. So in the first week of doing that, my glucose, uh, my fasting glucose fell from in the 200s all the way down to, you know, low 100s. And I cut my insulin use by 30% in seven days. Wow. It blew my mind. I had no idea that I could make that much change in such a short period of time. So I come back to San Francisco. I continue to do this approach. My insulin use continues to go down. I have so much energy. I just get on, I buy a bike. I start riding my bike. I rode my bike 6,000 miles in the first six months because I was so excited. I was doing these long distance endurance rides. And uh, sorry, there's a siren. So I continued to be as active as I possibly could be, and my glucose was under control. I'd never had better blood glucose values than I was now getting on this low-fat plant-based approach. So in the process, I basically said, you know what? I want to go back to graduate school. I want to learn this stuff at, the, at, at a very molecular level. So I uh, applied for PhD programs, and I went to UC Berkeley for five years and I got a PhD in nutritional biochemistry, which I like to think of as just like super nerd nutrition. It's all the molecular level details of what's happening in your brain and your thyroid gland and your, and your vasculature and your, your, uh, your pancreas and your liver and your muscles and understanding what are all these individual players doing and how does the food that you put in your body actually affect them. So I did that process for five years. And then at the end of that process, I started coaching people living with diabetes because I felt like in the research world, we know so much about diabetes. We know, we know how to reverse diabetes. We know what insulin resistance is. We know how to reverse these conditions. Like this stuff was done 85 years ago, like in the 1930s. And, you know, paper after paper after paper shows this stuff. But yeah, if you go to the, to the, to the actual the world, you know, what do people do? People don't follow that information. Doctors don't follow that information. So I got frustrated and I said, you know what? We know the solution to diabetes. We can reverse type 2 diabetes through diet in more than 80% of all cases. And we can effectively manage type 1 diabetes brilliantly by following a plant-based low-fat diet. 
So I decided to start teaching people this process. So in the process, I ended up meeting with Robbie. Robbie and I decided to join forces, create Mastering Diabetes. And over the course of the last couple of years, we've been able to really, you know, inspire and motivate and help a lot of people, you know, now thousands of people around the world change their diet from the standard low carbohydrate approach to a low fat plant-based approach. And the results, they speak for themselves. It's just been an incredible process to watch. Amazing. Thank you. And how long have you been working together? So what year did you start working together? So Robbie and I have been working together now for probably about two years. Uh, you know, we were running group coaching programs together, and then we actually created Mastering Diabetes as a company at the beginning of, 20, of 2017. Um, so but, awesome. you know, our history goes back a couple of years before that. Cool. Sorry, I want to ask, with this whole low-fat plant-based approach, just to get a better idea, what is it that you ate today? Take me from the very first thing you ate down to what you have eaten, what was the last thing you ate, and what you plan on eating later. That's a great question. So uh, I think we should both share what we eat, and then we'll also share like the broader perspective of what we teach everybody else. Uh, okay. So Thank personally, you. in the morning today, I had mangoes and I had papaya and I had romaine lettuce. That was that was my first meal. My second meal was figs, mangoes, and romaine lettuce. And then I went for a walk on the beach. And then before this, I had a snack of two peaches. Make sure my blood glucose is good and I don't go low during this interview. So I had two peaches and that's it. And then for dinner, I'm going to have... Mangoes, papaya, uh, romaine lettuce, tomatoes, and green onion. And that's going to be my dinner, and that's my food for the day. Wait, how much, how, how many mangoes did you have this morning? Like, how, is it, was it just uh, like I think two? I had two, two mangoes and a, big, and a big papaya for breakfast. Then lunch was like two mangoes and like three baskets of figs. And then dinner will be another like big portion of fruit. So you're eating strictly fruit. And vegetables, yes. And some vegetables. Yeah, you with the lettuce and everything. Wow. But yeah. mostly fruit. That's incredible. Yeah. How about you, Cyrus? What is your typical day like? Uh, just for the record, even though Robbie talks a lot about eating mangoes, I am officially the mango man. So I'm very similar to Robbie. I eat, uh, for breakfast, I'll eat a, a bowl of fruit. So this morning, as an example, I had five nectarines and two bananas. And then for lunch, uh, I will be eating a predominantly fruit meal. So usually it's like something like four or five bananas, uh, a couple of mangoes. I had a handful of figs today as well. Uh, sometimes I will also eat a bunch of dates because I might be addicted to those guys. <laughs> and then for snack in the middle of the afternoon, I usually have a couple pieces of fruit, whatever's in season. Maybe it's uh, stone fruit is in season or maybe it's figs or maybe it's uh, you know some papaya as an example. And then when it rolls around to dinner, that's when I usually get a little creative and I'll have a, a pretty big salad. And in that salad, I'll have a bunch of green leafy vegetables. I'll put things like tomatoes and corn and, and beans and okra and oranges and onions and ginger. And I'll, I'll get pretty inventive. Sometimes I'll have a green papaya salad. Sometimes I will have mango zoodles with a, uh, you know, with like a fruit-based uh, sauce to go on top of it. So one thing that I'll also be super transparent about is that even though I learned how to eat as an 80-10-10 raw vegan 15 years ago, I've been doing that for basically 14 years. 
And in the process, I decided that I really miss potatoes. Mm. So uh, in an effort to you know eat more potatoes, I had to basically start, I chose to start eating more cooked food. And so now I've integrated potatoes and cooked squash and a little bit of quinoa and some cooked beans and cooked lentils. And uh, I love every minute of it. Mm. And, and so one thing I just want to add in here is like, Cyrus and I, we eat very clean diets. You just saw us describe that. Like, but when we are working with people, people come in our coaching program, we meet each person where they are at and figure out what are your goals and how are we going to get you there on an individual basis? So some people, like we're eating like A plus meals pretty much every time we eat, you know, highest quality. But for other people, if you're starting from maybe eating fast food, like you might not jump to here. And we also, our program is a very slow transition, like just change one meal at a time. And then, you know, just breakfast. And then once you feel good with that, just change lunch. And, and like, we teach people how to do convenience things, like you know, taking a potato and sticking it in a microwave or something like that is, is way better than going and eating whatever other convenience items you'd eat. So it's always like a better than type of approach. So we teach people like, you know, how to eat forks or knives style meals, um, stuff like that. So really healthy, low fat, cooked vegan meals is a huge part of our program. And, but it's just very, very clean. Like we are, you know, kind of like Rip Esselstyn came out of a new book, The Seven Day Engine 2 Rescue. And like that approach of like really, really cleaning it up, that's where our program is at. That's what we're trying to get people to. We know they might not be there on day one. We're not like militant about that and not making people feel bad. It's just like, but the goal of where to go is pretty clear. Very cool. So what does your typical client look like? Are these type 1 diabetics, type 2 diabetics? Where do you get them from? Okay, this is a great question. So uh, we have uh, we have a we we cater to people who have both type one diabetes, type one point five diabetes, which is basically an adult onset slow. I'm sorry, it's an adult onset slow progressing version of type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. And then we also work with people who have pre diabetes and type two diabetes. And then we also work with people who have gestational diabetes. So we kind of run the whole gamut. Now, a lot of people will be like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Those are different diseases, Cyrus and Robbie. You can't put type two and type one in the same category because one's autoimmune and mm -hmm. one's not. These are true. They, are, they, are, uh, they have different disease pathologies, which leads to diabetes. However, when we talk about insulin resistance, insulin resistance is the unifying condition that underlies all forms of diabetes, mm -hmm. whether type 1 and 1.5, whether gestational, whether polycystic ovarian syndrome, whether prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. This is a so what we teach people how to do is basically understand what is insulin resistance. Let's stop talking about diabetes right now. We're going to talk about insulin resistance. What is it? How does it how did you create insulin resistance by eating high fat, high protein foods, and what can you do about it now? And so by, by using that as sort of our unifying concept, we're able to sort of communicate with people that have all different types of diabetes. That being said, people with type 1 diabetes reach out to us all the time because we have type 1 diabetes and we've been living with it, we've been thriving with it, and we have almost 30 years of experience between the two of us. So people with type 1 diabetes, whether they're 11-year-old girls, uh, you know, adolescents, or, uh, you know, people who are 65 years old who've been living with type 1 diabetes for 22 years, Right we are able to uh, communicate with all types of people with type 1 diabetes. Some people get diagnosed late in life, some people early in life. It doesn't really matter. 
So the type one diabetic population sort of kind of runs the whole gamut. Um, as far as people with prediabetes and type two diabetes, we have a growing number of clients that um, are experiencing very high medication requirements. And those are oral medications. Um, they also, a lot of them start to use insulin because their doctor has prescribed insulin for them, even though that's not necessarily the most effective approach at bringing their blood glucose down. So what we do with these individuals is we teach them how to use their diet as medicine so that they can reverse insulin resistance and then reduce their biological need for medication. Mm -hmm. So if they're overweight and or if they are highly insulin resistant and they have either a lot of fat mass or they just have muscle tissue and liver tissue that's not responsive to glucose, we treat all of that by teaching them how to change the foods they put in their mouth and as a result of that, they'll notice that their oral medication requirements fall from you know, very large uh, dosages. They can cut it in half, they can cut it by three quarters, and then they can eventually get off of it. And a lot of these people also suffer from comorbidities. These are other conditions like hypertension or cardiovascular disease. And uh, we teach them that eating a low-fat, plant-based, uh, whole food approach is really, it's not selective. It, it doesn't just treat diabetes. It doesn't just treat fibromyalgia. It treats chronic disease as a whole. Diabetes is just the place where we start and we teach them a whole system for being able to understand how to control their blood glucose and how to minimize it. And then in the process, all these ancillary side effects of more energy, reduced weight, reduced need for hypertensive medication, reduced uh, cholesterol deposits, all of that starts to unfold and then these people end up becoming completely transformed in the process. Wow, amazing. I absolutely love what you're doing. It's so awesome. It's so true. Like it's not selective at all. It's really the whole body approach. Oh, I love it. I do have a question. I, as working as a dietetic intern in South Texas where everybody had diabetes and I really wanted to incorporate a plant-based lifestyle, but I was nervous. I was thinking, hmm, you know, if their blood sugars are really high, if they have diabetes and I transition them to start eating more carbs, how, how am I going to do that safely? Is there, you know, once they start eating fruit when they're already insulin resistant, that seems like a, a bad idea. Um, what are you, what is your advice to that? Especially when you're doing it, uh, a slow transition. I'll comment on this real quick and then let Cyrus maybe bring in some of the science. But all I can say is through our practice of working with hundreds of people, they come into our program and they, our breakfast is uh, basically a fruit-based breakfast, whole fruits, just eat all. And every single time, even when they just change their breakfast, people are reporting back to us, everything is, my blood glucose is getting better. My fasting glucose is getting better. Even while they're still eating fairly crappy stuff at other meals, just starting out with, and it's, people are shocked. And it's, it's the whole, it's this difference between whole fruit, not dried fruit, not fruit juices, this concept of having people eat whole fruit and chew it is really a game changer. And that's just the beginning of the transition. So my short answer is through our experience is it's not a big deal if you're eating the right foods. Yeah. And I'll add to that too. Um, so Katie, going back to what you're saying here about, you know, person with any flavor of diabetes has high blood glucose to begin with. They're probably taking either a lot of insulin or a lot of oral sensitizing, uh, insulin sensitizing medication. If I were to introduce carbohydrate-rich foods like fruits or potatoes or quinoa or squashes or corn or beans, isn't their glucose going to go up? I mean, come on. These are carbohydrate-rich foods. Carbohydrates, 
break down into glucose, glucose elevates your glucose in your blood, right? Well, what ends up happening is that, just like Robbie said, uh, the biology of insulin resistance is effectively, is very straightforward, which is that insulin resistance is caused by the storage of fat in tissues that are not designed to store fat. Okay, so when you're consuming a diet that has high fat foods in it, whether those foods are, you know, chicken and beef and sausage, or whether it's avocados and nuts and seeds and olive oil, it doesn't really matter. Okay, there's different types of fats between those two classes of foods for sure, but your total fat intake is is truly the most important metric. So, what we teach people how to do is basically minimize their fat intake, and as a result of that the fat that's stored inside of their muscle, literally inside of their muscle tissue in their, in their chest, in their shoulders, in their legs, in their abdomen, that fat starts to get burned or oxidized over time. And then as a result of that, those tissues start to say, hey, welcome glucose, please come inside. And as a result of that, blood glucose comes down. So when somebody transitions to a plant-based breakfast and they start to eat more fruit as an example, you'd expect their glucose would go up. But really what happens is that by eating high carbohydrate foods that are whole, like Robbie said, it's displacing high fat foods. So the, uh, because they're not consuming fat at that meal, they're actually becoming insulin sensitized at that one meal. And then they will repeat that for lunch and then repeat that for dinner and then continue the next day and the next day and the next day. And effectively what they're doing is they're literally just taking foods that are high in fat and high in protein, and they're just substituting higher carbohydrate foods, and those foods, just they just get pushed out of the way. And as a result of that, the, the fat that is already stored inside of their tissues and inside of their liver starts to get oxidized and go away in a much shorter time span than you or I even thought was possible. And I'll also add to that in the fact that, so Cyrus and I are both living with type 1 diabetes. We work with a lot of people living with type 1. So this means we have very good data on exactly what is happening when people even add in more plant-based fats, whether it's an avocado, too much nuts and seeds. We know because exactly how much insulin we're injecting, we know exactly how many carbs we're eating, and we're testing our blood glucose all the time. And a lot of us have CGMs which gives us blood glucose every five minutes, 24 hours a day. And I can assure you that when pe even people eating a low-fat plant-based diet, when they start adding in a day or two of too much plant-based fats, even that makes them need more insulin and their blood glucose is higher. Hmm, interesting. That's been my experience transitioning people over to a plant-based diet. If they're on insulin, I usually cut it in half the first day. Otherwise, they'll plummet. I did have a question. How do you guys handle the dawn phenomenon? What when they occurs when this blood sugar rises early in the morning? What what do you do for those folks? So I mean, I'll tell you. So my personal experience, personally, is that if I'm being very active, if I'm going to the gym a lot, I'm working out. The dawn phenomenon pretty close to becomes non-existent. Like I need, I still need a little bit more insulin in the morning for my breakfast meal, so my ratio of insulin to carbs is a little bit higher, but it, there's not like this steep thing. It's just, oh, I wake up and all of a sudden it's just shooting up. Now, if I don't exercise, it definitely kind of comes back. So over time of applying this diet and exercising, it's not really that big of a deal. Sometimes I might take a half a unit or a unit to cover it, but um, it's, it's pretty simple. So mm -hmm. I'll let Cyrus share his experience. 
Yeah. Uh, so the Dom phenomenon, for those of us who aren't too terribly familiar with it, effectively what it is, is it's a physiologically conserved mechanism inside of mammals that basically prepares a mammal for a waking state. So you're sleeping, your glucose is under control. Uh, in you know one to two hours before you wake up, your adrenal gland basically starts kicking out tiny bits of adrenaline and cortisol, which go to your liver and they knock on the door of your liver and they say, hey, liver, he's about to wake up. I need some free glucose. So the liver will then drop glucose into the blood. And as a result of that, your blood glucose will come up a small amount. And then that will give you energy to be able to wake up and then respond to any kind of uh, you know dangerous situation that might occur. So evolutionarily speaking, this is very helpful because if you're sleeping on a Saharan plane and there's a tiger after you, you got to be able to respond to that tiger the instant that you wake up. Uh, in people with diabetes, it, it can become pronounced uh, simply because we have to take control of the, the insulin that we're injecting because if our pancreas isn't making very much insulin, then we have to be the ones to understand how much insulin to give in the morning hours and at what time so that we can prevent a unwanted glucose spike. Point being, what Robbie said is absolutely true. In, uh, exercise does a phenomenal job of decreasing the volume or the severity, the magnitude of the Don phenomenon. But even before exercise, I will say that a low-fat diet does an even better job of minimizing the effect of the Don phenomenon. So we have a lot of people who come into our coaching program and they say, oh, guys, you know, like they're on an insulin pump and we'll take a look at their, their basal insulin profile. And a lot of them will be, you know, doubling their basal rate in the morning hours because historically speaking, they'll wake up in the morning and their insulin needs will be much higher than they were in the middle of the night. And we'll transition them into a low-fat plant-based diet, and in a very short period of time, they don't need double the amount of insulin in the morning. In fact, their insulin needs are no different in the morning than they were in the middle of the night. Hmm. And so the DOM phenomenon is affected by many different things. Number one, the total fat content is an absolute huge player in that game. Number two, your, your exercise and your consistency of exercise is another huge player in that game. And so if we can kind of get control over the two of those, then the Dom phenomenon just becomes less and less of a problem. In some people, it goes away entirely. And in some people, it just becomes a small issue. And you can easily treat that by changing your insulin dosing by small amounts. And I, I know you asked, like, what do we, how do we work with our clients about this stuff? And so the answer is, we teach people how to fill out what's called a decision tree. It's our version of a diabetes logbook. This is where they collect all the data, what's going on. And so they can see when to make new adjustments. We're not physicians. We don't tell people how to change their medication. We empower them to have good data to make their own decisions and communicate with their doctor as necessary. So that's how we get people to start making uh, the adjustments necessary is filling out these decision trees and then they can see what to do. Wow. Awesome. Thank you. That was really great explanation. Oh my gosh. I love this. Um, my next question. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Um, sorry. I literally knew exactly what I was going to ask a second ago and it totally just left me. I have a question. Oh, no, I, I'm excited about my question. Okay, so a lot of people are really into like the bulletproof diet and coconut oil in their coffee and cutting those carbs, especially people who like to work out and are trying to get swole. And especially I feel like with diabetes and with what we've been taught about a low carb situation to control blood sugars. And I'm curious 
what do you say to these people? How, how, uh, how does that work? Okay, so sure. I'll, start, I'll start this one. <laughs> um, so first off, um, particularly in the, in the type 1 diabetes community, um, there's a lot of people doing this. And um, the, at first, like, the first thing to say is we completely respect the people that are doing this. Like, if you're living with type 1, type 2, it doesn't matter. And you decide to do a new clean diet, like, I'm going to do a clean paleo diet. And you get rid of McDonald's, you get rid of the junk food and you take the time and effort to eat what you think is the healthiest foods. Like, kudos to you. Like, we're all in the same club. We have a lot more in common than we have different. And we're all trying to, like, reach the same goal here. So, in particularly in the type 1 community, there's um, uh, a guy, his name is Dr. Richard Bernstein. He wrote a book called The Diabetes Solution, and he's, he himself is just a terrific example. Like, he's, I think he's in his 80s. Um, he has diabetes way before there was even blood glucose meters, and he's been a great success story of living a long, healthy life, great A1Cs, and he eats less than 30 grams of carbs a day. Like that, you can't eat like no, you, basically no fruit. Like you literally says no fruit. You have to limit your vegetable consumption because it's too many carbs and, and carrots and bell peppers and stuff like that. So it's working for him, and it, there's getting some good results there. So a lot of other type ones will try and apply the same thing. And so like in, for type one specifically, you can get some good diabetes results from this approach. You can get a very steady blood glucose line because you're not eating any carbs. If you're not eating any carbs, you're not going to see ups and downs. It's going to be pretty flat. Um, you can see a really low A1C. A1C is in the fours. There's a group out there called type one grit. Um, they have a Pinterest page where there'll be like 60 people showing pictures of their A1C, their, you know, the home test A1C or their A1C result from the doctor and their A1C is in the fours. Like this is totally regular for these people. And so like we recognize that. We see that that, that, that exists. Our concern with that approach is that you, number one, is part of the mentality there is that you need to try and lower your insulin intake. So these people are taking a very small amount of insulin because they're eating a very small amount of carbs. Remember, insulin's function is to take glucose out of the bloodstream and into the cells. So if you're not eating glucose and you start running your body on a different energy system, you don't need so much total insulin. And so their mindset is like, oh, I'm taking less insulin, therefore that's better. And you know, what Cyrus and I always say is that you can't confuse taking less total insulin for insulin sensitivity. This approach is objectively making their body more insulin resistant. This is not opinions here. This is not people fighting with each other. This is just facts. You're making yourself more insulin resistant. So if you're eating, so Dr. Bernstein eating roughly 30 grams of carbs per day, taking 10 total units of insulin, that's a three to one ratio. So three to one. Cyrus and I, we're eating more in like the 700 or so grams of carbs per day. And we're taking, Cyrus takes like 25, 26 units of insulin per day. I take uh, more than that, like more like 40-ish. You do the math, it comes out somewhere around like a 20 to one ratio of total carb to your insulin intake. So our insulin sensitivity is a lot better. And so what we are trying to say here is that Insulin is not the enemy. 
trying to take a super small amount of insulin does not necessarily going to equate to better health. We want to get people to, as a type one, inject the same amount of insulin their body would have normally secreted if they were eating a healthy, balanced diet. So for diabetes, type one include type one and type two, the number one thing that people die of is heart attacks. We don't actually die of high blood glucose readings. So Dr. Ndugo talks about this all the time, macrovascular issues versus microvascular issues. You have all these people talking about how important it is to keep your blood glucose in range so you don't have eye problems and, and, and limb problems. That's true. Our approach keeps blood glucose in range, but more importantly is you don't want to die of a heart attack. So our concern is that, yes, you get, you get good diabetes numbers, but um, sometimes it's hard for some people to maintain even the good diabetes numbers long-term, although Dr. Bernstein has and some of his clients have, so that's good. But um, it's just the risk factor for the other diseases that come along with eating those foods is to us, it's, um, it's not worth it. So we can get very good A1Cs. Like we don't, we, we have one client who actually is very diligent, measures herself like crazy and does micro injections. And she actually has an A1C in the fours. And, uh, but most people, we're not trying to get actually that low. It's kind of dangerous to, uh, as a type one, to shoot that low. So we are happy to have A1Cs more around the six-ish area, and that's actually safer. And there's really no evidence to show that you're gonna have long-term issues if your A1C is in the six-ish area and you're eating a healthy, low-fat, plant-based diet, the type of diet that the, you know, the longest-lived societies eat. There's just no evidence to show that that's a bad idea. So that's my long-winded answer. I know Cyrus has plenty to add on this topic. Yeah, the one thing I want to add to this is uh, is just what Robbie said here is that in the diabetes, diabetes is a sufficiently complicated enough condition that it's easy to get misled. Right? Mm-hmm. There's there's a number of different players. There's your liver. There's your muscle. There's your pancreas. There's your heart. There's glucose. There's fatty acids. There's protein. So depending on the viewpoint that you are looking at this puzzle with, you can, you can take a look at the puzzle and you can say, oh, I see the problem. I'm just going to do this, right? Or you could say, oh, no, 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 no. Like that's not the problem. The problem's actually over here. I'm, we're going to do this, right? And so the diabetes community is constantly probing the, 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 the diabetes, uh, what do you call it? The diabetes biochemistry and jumping to erroneous conclusions based off of a limited amount of information. Mm-hmm. So in the low-carbohydrate world, again, Robbie and I are not here to talk smack about people in the low-carbohydrate world. We have a lot of respect for the educators and the people that are doing this because, again, we're all striving for the same thing, which is increased health. But one thing that we have to understand is that low-carbohydrate diets, because they're high in fat and protein, they increase your level of insulin resistance. This is a true statement. You can induce this... In animals, in a laboratory setting, you can induce it in, in humans in the span of a few days. So there was some very interesting research which was done in the early 90s, in which they found that, this is researchers in, in Italy, what they found was that they wanted to understand what actually increases your risk for a heart attack, okay? Is it your cholesterol level? Is it your blood pressure? Is it your activity level? Is it something completely different than that? So what they did was they ran people through a whole gamut of tests early in the process, and then they just let them live. 
And then 17 years later, they came back and they measured the same tests and they tried to figure out who actually developed heart disease and who didn't. And what they found out in this process was that the people who were the most insulin resistant at the beginning of the process had the highest risk for heart disease 17 years down the road. Mm. Okay. So it wasn't their cholesterol levels. It wasn't their blood pressure. It wasn't their activity level. It was their level of insulin resistance. So the people who were the most resistant actually ended up developing, uh, getting heart attacks and developing heart disease down the road. And the people who were the most insulin sensitive didn't end up with those complications. So right there, what that tells you is that if you're just looking for good blood glucose numbers and that's it, and you're not talking about insulin resistance at all, then you're going to get good blood, blood glucose numbers, but in the process, you may end up increasing your risk for heart disease. So I like to think of it as just basically trading diseases. You're like, okay, here's diabetes. I'll take heart disease. Here's diabetes. Give me cancer, right? And if that's ultimately what you want, then that can be a dangerous game to play. But the way that we like to tackle the situation is we have to say, okay, look, we're going to talk about insulin resistance because insulin resistance, again, is a central node. And by minimizing the volume or the effect of insulin resistance, we can control chronic disease as a whole. And as a result of treating chronic disease as a whole and bringing that down, then we're able to minimize your risk for uh, all-cause mortality or increased risk of death from any cause. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, that's so powerful. I love how you explain it. It's very straightforward and uh, easy to comprehend. So I'm curious about your retreats. If you could tell us where those are located, how long they are, how can someone become involved? Can doctors come and watch and see what you guys do and learn as professionals? What, where, give us some more information on that, please. Yeah, so we do retreats in um, Idaho, California, which is in Southern California, um, a couple about two hours or so inland from Los Angeles. It's a beautiful mountain town. And so um, this is actually our, our last retreat for the foreseeable future. So it's coming up um, July 13th to the 17th. This is, will be our last one. And um, we're, we're sad about that, but Focusing on online education is kind of where we're taking things. But um, what we do is it's a four-day retreat. So they arrive on Thursday. And I know Katie's been there, so Katie knows how it goes. And so on Thursday nights, we feed them dinner and give them an orientation of how it's going to work and what we're going to do. And then we have all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, 100% focus on they get two exercises per day, exercise sessions. There's three lectures, we feed them all meals, all snacks, and people see tremendous results. I mean, it is, when we first started, you know, we didn't really know how well, like what exactly is gonna happen in four days under our supervision, we're not really sure. And every single time, this is gonna be our fifth one, every single time, it's, it's unbelievable. Like type ones are dropping their insulin intake dramatically and increasing their carb intake. So total carbs dramatically going up, total insulin going down, type twos on insulin, same things happening there, oral medications are dropping and people are seeing the best readings they've ever seen. And they're, they're eating literally every meal is buffet style, unlimited amounts of all the foods. So all the fruits unlimited. And then for lunch and dinner, we include starch items. So beans, uh, lentils, steamed veggies, uh, quinoa, 
stuff like that. And it's all unlimited amounts and, and people love it. And it's, it's a really, really fun experience. Wow. Yeah, I absolutely loved getting to help out at the retreats. Like I couldn't believe how simple it was. And I was helping to calculate the carbs on there so that people could um, carb count effectively. And it was just really simple, just fruit and veg and lettuce and celery and like all yeah. oh, these rainbow fruits and everybody loved it. Yeah. They were just like, wow, it's so beautiful. And you wouldn't think that such simplicity would uh, blow people over with, you know, this exactly. and so we measured the carbs for people living with type one who are using medication. If they were type two, we don't have people measuring carbs, counting calories. That's not necessary. Um, but you're exactly right. And people, I was actually kind of surprised. We didn't know when we first ran the tree, we weren't exactly sure how it's going to go. But we're like, we're going to feed them all these simple foods, kind of like the way Cyrus and I eat. Let's just see how it goes. And everybody loved it. They loved the food. And, and it's when it's when food is right and, um, and simple, like, and you get to Cyrus is all about spices. So he brings his whole spice cabinet and teaches people how to flavor foods with spices. And it is, it's amazing how good it tastes. That's incredible. So what are you talking about when you're going online? What is that going to look like? What are you doing and what should we look for? Okay. So mastering diabetes, uh, is a, the best thing that I've ever done in my life. Honestly, that, the second best thing, the best thing I ever did in my life was actually transition to a low fat plant-based diet period. And, uh, what Robbie and I, we have a simple mission. Our goal is to educate inspire and support people living with diabetes all around the planet, whether type one, type one and a half, pre-diabetes, type two diabetes, gestational diabetes, you name it. Our goal is to teach, inspire, and support people to transition towards a plant-based diet for incredible health. And the way that we, we have many ways that we do that. We like we were talking about the in-person retreats. Um, that's one way that we have been doing it up, in, up until this current retreat. We also have online education, and the way that that works is that we have a coaching program, which we provide you with three tools. The first is an online course that we have specifically designed to give you literally a step-by-step -step instruction manual that teaches you exactly what foods to eat, exactly which foods to not eat, and exactly which foods to try and minimize. We teach you how to move your body. We teach you how frequently to move your body. We teach you uh, considerations about how and when to inject insulin. We teach you how to minimize your need for oral medications. We, we mean spared nothing in this process. And we basically are providing people with, uh, with a step-by-step -step approach that we wish we had when we had first made this transition. Mm -hmm. Then we provide people with a community. So there's hundreds of people that are going through this process together and using a Facebook, a private Facebook group. We funnel everyone into that. And then it's an opportunity for people to interact with each other and to also get guidance and support from us as well. And then the third thing is that we have monthly video conference calls. And in those video conference calls, people bring their particular situations and they are there, they have an opportunity to troubleshoot and to also learn from other people that are also going through this process together. So with a combination of the online education plus the Facebook group, plus the, the monthly video calls, people are able to really transform their approach to living with diabetes and do it in a way where they're not isolated. Because one of the things that Robbie and I noticed that when we were going through this process is that, you know, he was going through the process by himself. I was going through the process by myself. 
him and I didn't even know each other, right? That were these two lone soldiers and we're just going along the path and we're finding out very similar things. And then only down the road did we end up meeting each other. And at that point we were like, oh my God, you're like, you're, you're the same as me, you know? And it was like a really empowering process to know that I'm not the only human being living with diabetes that also wants to make this process unfold properly. So by giving that community, we're able to really show people that like, hey, look, you're the same as thousands of other people around you. Just, you know, like this is a very, it's a very uh, uh, fun process and it's a very supportive community to do it in. And then the final thing, and I'll stop talking after this, is that every year we have a, uh, uh, an online summit. So we ran our first diabetes, Mastering Diabetes Online Summit at the beginning of 2017, and we're going to run another one at the beginning of 2018. And the way that it works is we reached out to all of the, the people that we believe are the smartest and most dedicated at teaching people the true power of plant-based diets. So we interviewed New York Times bestselling authors, physicians, uh, researchers, everyone from Dr. Michael Greger to Dr. Dean Ornish to Dr. Neil Barnard to Dr. Joel Furman. I mean, these are people that literally wrote the books on plant-based nutrition. And so we reached out to every single one of them and we said, hey, we'd like to interview you on a particular subject within the diabetes world. And all of them were like, hey, great, sounds good, let's do it. So we put together 35 hours worth of content and then drip fed this content over the course of a week. And we had 10,000 plus people participate and learn from these, from these masters, these gurus. And uh, it was just, it was an unbelievable process because we wanted to inspire some positive change, but the change that actually happened as a result of it was way larger than we thought, way larger. And so as a result of that, we're gonna continue to do this over and over and over again and interview new people and get new perspectives and really show the diabetes community that the information which we are acting upon is not new. This is information that's existed for 85 plus years. We're just overcomplicating the process. And if we really just simplify it and go back to the basics, the basics work and it works every single time. That's incredible. It's very powerful. But I'm curious, when you have people transition their diet, what do you tell them to tell their doctors? Because <laughs> I can only imagine those conversations having been on the other end as a physician. What do you recommend that they suggest and say? Yeah, this is a great question, actually, because <laughs> there's a lot of people who actually get, uh, people who go through our program, some of them get angry. And they get yeah. angry. And they say, I say, why are you so pissed off? And they say, I'm mad because my doctor never told me this. Why is my doctor not telling me this information? Right? And the truth is that doctors are not bad people. They're wonderful people. Most of them are very altruistic. They go into medicine because they want to help people. But in, but the, in the process, they're taught in a medical school system, which does not prioritize nutrition education. And your average doctor gets something like 21 hours of nutrition education over 10,000 hours of medical education. And so medical schools aren't equipped to give them the tool set to talk about diet at all. So as a result of that, a lot of these people end up getting no dietary advice and they only get prescriptive medication advice and then they end up moving in the wrong direction. So to answer your question, when communicating with your doctor, you can do one of two things. You can either say, hey, look, I'm following this approach and this is why, you know, this is the new dietary approach that, that uh, you know, seems to be making a lot of positive change for me. What do you think about it? And most doctors actually, they, they just go stone cold and they, they go, oh, um, there's a couple of different reactions. Number one, the one reaction could be like, great, sounds good. See you later. I got to go. And then they leave the office. 
because again, talking about diet is kind of a scary thing and they're not equipped to talk about it. Number two, a lot of doctors can say that's dangerous information. Don't act on that because the only way to eat for diabetes is to follow a low carbohydrate diet. Okay. Some doctors will say that to their, to their patients. If your doctor does say that to you, then you can just basically say, okay, great. Thank you for your opinion. Right. And then you have a choice. You either find a new doctor, which is what I recommend, or you don't talk about your diet. Right. Uh, and then there are doctors such as yourself and a whole new slew of doctors who are starting to realize they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was never taught nutrition in medical school and nutrition's a really powerful tool. So a lot of doctors are now reaching out to us and reaching out to other educators in this plant-based world. And they're saying, Hey, I think I want to learn about, uh, you know, the, how you can use food as medicine, because that seems like a much more reasonable solution than taking a pharmaceutical medication. And so a lot of doctors are now opening up their minds to saying, you know what, I want to learn more. And in this process, they're taking this information and they're applying it with their own patients and they're seeing tremendous change and they're actually reversing disease processes rather than just prolonging the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that is really fun to do. I've been doing this for six years. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh gosh. No, I, um, I guess to sum things up, what is one thing that you want to uh, say before you go to all of our listeners and viewers here? So, I mean, I just want to tell people, um, I mean, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you've gotten to this point, I appreciate your, your time. Uh, it means a lot to us. Uh, if you are living with diabetes or you know anybody who is, honestly, we, we want to help them. Like we've made our program as affordable as possible. It's $29 a month. It's a month-to-month -month thing, no commitment for people to come in, get access to everything that Cyrus described, and we're adding new things every week. We are making this as practical as possible. We know people need simple recipes, simple solutions, ways to save time. We're creating tutorials and recipes and sort of doing it together. And so we want people to join us, as many people as possible from all over the world to come and join us. Uh, we want to change the, the way diabetes is treated. So come join us, masteringdiabetes.org. Perfect. I love that. And do you have any final words, Cyrus, that you'd like to share as well? None at all. I don't like talking. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just like Robbie said, you know, we, we kind of approach this whole process from the perspective of, uh, you know, we're here to help, right? We don't consider ourselves to be the masters of diabetes, you know, like we, we're we're learning information all along the way. I've spent an inordinate amount of time reading the primary research and really understanding what is the truth about living with diabetes and about how to reverse insulin resistance. And we have a very, very effective and very transformational program, right? I'm not going to take credit. I didn't invent this program. We're just literally taking information from multiple different sources and we're curating it and we're putting it together and we're creating a very simple step-by-step -step solution. And the people that have gone through this program have had completely life-changing, uh, you know, transformations, and it works in an overwhelming majority of people. And so if, if you're at a point where you feel like you actually do want to make some positive change, if you're interested in losing weight, attaining your ideal body weight, minimizing your need for oral medication and insulin, and gaining a ton of energy, then this approach has been shown over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to be a very effective approach. 
So if that's the, the mindset that you come from and you're looking for positive change, then come to masteringdiabetes.org, start to learn about this process and see if this is right for you. Perfect. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much for your time. This was so informative and exciting and gosh, yeah, adopting a plant-based diet really is so powerful. And I'm really glad that you're spreading that awareness and giving people confidence in that. Oh, I love it. Um, and I know Robbie on Instagram, if you hang out, I know mindful diabetic Robbie and Dr. Cyrus Mavada, mango man nutrition on there. And of course, mastering diabetes I'll put all of the links to all of their social medias and websites and everything um, in the notes and in the description. So you'll be on YouTube and uh, also the How to Health podcast. So, And, and thank you guys that. also for not only asking us to be on this podcast, but for you know, spreading the word of plant-based nutrition. You know, we are, I am a firm believer that we are at an inflection point. We are at the cusp of a revolution. And every single person that participates in this revolution, all of the educators, yours, you guys selves yourselves included, you guys are all on our team. And mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot of us to continue to push this message. And I really firmly believe that in the course of the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a huge, huge shift in the way that people address plant-based nutrition. So thank you guys for, for doing what you do. Please continue to spread the word because you guys are helping thousands of people around the planet and you may not even know it. Oh, yeah. Wow, so are you. Gosh, yeah. Acknowledgement to both of you guys for taking one for the team and going against the grain and studying for yourselves and putting yourselves out there. It's so incredible. So incredible what you guys have put out there as well. I cannot believe, like, I'm so excited. Yeah, we're, we really like to acknowledge people at the end of every podcast and say thank you. And, you know, it's, it's a... A job of an educator or a healthcare provider is you never quite understand the value that you may have had in someone's life or their ripple effect like you were describing the doctors who are now helping others and uh, we're just saying thank you for them for all that you guys do we appreciate you so thank yeah. you incredible right. resource wow thanks yeah. it was great to see you and hear from yeah. you and i hope to see you again